What's happening? What's happening? Hello, my name is Brad Harden, and I'm the host of the brand new show here on the Hoop Ball Network, Hoop Ball Hawks, where we cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks, from box score breakdown, training camp, free agency, the rumor mill, you love John Collins, you love Ice Trey, you love JR Crickets, well, check us out, follow us at Hoop Ball Hawks on Twitter, follow myself at Brad Jarrett. Six, seven on Twitter, and we hope y'all check us out. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I'd say we got a much-needed break, but I didn't feel like I needed a break. I'd rather just keep this thing going. I know, I know, you got the schedules, blah, 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 and so forth, so on, so forth. You had to leave room for the East and West to potentially go seven games, but they didn't. So, you know, we could have really fired this thing up early, but you know what? It is what it is, and at this point, since it sounds like next season isn't starting until late January or maybe even February, what's a couple of days here, blended in, uh, but damn it, I really want this next series to start. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. Hold the fantasy. It's Monday, September the 28th. We're almost into October now. I feel like I just did a show where I said, how the hell did it get to be September? And I feel like I just did a show saying, how did it get to be March 12th? <laughs> what a year. What a year, guys. Although... There is a uh, an anomaly happening this week that may never happen again, which is that we have every major pro sport happening simultaneously, it seems. Right? We've got, uh, I believe we've got hockey, right? NHL, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Actually, it could end today. Ooh, that's a really interesting thing. So... The Stanley Cup Finals, it's it's currently uh, Tampa Bay Lightning leads the Dallas Stars three games to two. And if that if the Stars win tonight, then that would go to a game seven on Wednesday. And if that happens, then you'll have the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Finals, the baseball playoffs, all happening on the exact same day. And if I'm not mistaken, and I want to double-check myself to make sure I've got this right, I think the WNBA is still going right now, or did that just finish? Oh, that one might finish up. No, so they're not going to be playing on Wednesday, I don't think. So that one, it looks like the finals would probably start later in the week. Well, regardless, you have... Wednesday could potentially have the Stanley Cup Finals, the NBA Finals, baseball playoffs happening at the same time. Uh, NHL would end that day. But then if you go later into the week, you're looking at WNBA playoffs, continuing NBA playoffs, continuing baseball playoffs, football, college and pro, all happening at the same time. That This should never happen again, although I guess next year is a possibility that it repeats itself if, if everybody's waiting to see how long they can push their season to get fans back in arenas. Still... I know some folks are putting parlays out there just because they'll save the ticket forever. Just say, look, this is the year where all of these things were happening at the same time. I guess you could do a parlay of games that are happening on separate days if you wanted to. 
It's annoying to have to wait for all of that. It's a terrible wager, but as a souvenir, you know, put $2 on it just so, you know, 40 years from now, you can tell your grandchildren, hey, look what daddy did, or look what grandpa did. Grandpa put a bet on every major pro sport at the same time. Hello, 2020. Goodbye, sanity. I am Dan Vespers, by the way. Dan Vespers is how you... It's written the way you pronounce it, although I get I guess that that's relatively difficult. It's B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You can also just Google search Dan from HoopBall. You can find me that way. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a HoopBall presentation, HoopBall on Twitter. I'm back to doing HoopBall tweets as the uh, the main one you guys should be following, HoopBall tweets, because that retweets everything we've got going on, including team coverage, gambling, DFS, regular fantasy you name it, they've got it over there. Just that, That's got the whole umbrella. So HoopBall Tweets is the big guy. Uh, we had this unreal weekend in gambling. Those odds boost. Remember I was telling you guys about that on Friday? The odds boost stuff that my bookie did over the weekend. They had won every hour for 12 hours in a row. That was a wager that was shifted from, let's call every... If we just assume, hypothetically, that every single wager available right now is a 50-50 proposition, which is wrong, but just for our purposes here, we're going to, we're going to assume that. If we just assumed that every wager was a 50-50 proposition, what my bookie did is they basically took all of those and they shifted them in the better's favor by anything from about an additional 30 to basically a guaranteed percentage, like from 30 to 50% better odds on that. So... There were 12 bets. One happened every hour on Saturday. Each one of them had an 80 to 100% chance of hitting, and 11 out of 12 hit. So 11 out of 12 of the uh, odds-boosted wagers came in. And, you know, we got, we got a little bit cute with them because four of the 12, you could actually middle. You could create a middle, so there was absolutely no risk at all. It went from, you know, an 80% proposition to, of hitting to you know, like a 20 or 30% proposition, 40, you want to call it? 40% proposition of hitting both wagers and zero risk. Uh, only one of those four middled. So I was hoping we might be able to stumble our way into two of those for monster profit. The wagers had either a 10 or a $25 max. And so when all was said and done, uh, we ended up making like $100 just for nothing, for doing nothing at all. And I get it. Some of you guys are betting $100 a game, so maybe that's not that big of a deal to you, but many, I think, of us are, uh, and I know from you guys talking to me about it that many of you are putting $5, 10 $15 on most of your wagers. So if you're a $10 better, winning 100 bucks on a Saturday with no risk at all, with no sweat at all, that's a 10-unit profit day. That's huge. You basically, uh, you probably doubled your bankroll, if I'm guessing, just throwing it out there and we didn't have to do anything at all so hopefully a lot of you guys were following us on that i did a lot of tweeting about it and i lost twitter followers as a result because i think people got sick of seeing it but you know what for all of us i think it's totally fine because everybody was able to make a bunch of money without ever thinking twice about it and you can cash out you can take your 70 80 100 whatever you made on saturday and just take it out cash that out keep playing with the rest of what you got in your my bookie account I don't know when the next MyBookie odds boost is going to be, but I can't wait until it happens. And whenever it does, you can bet your butt that we're going to be following it really closely. We're going to be live tweeting it. We're going to be talking about it on the podcast. And I really hope you guys will join us for that. So sign up for an account right now, mybookie.ag. 
promo code HoopBall. We got to keep building. We need more people. We need more people to sign up so that all of us, we can just steal the money, steal the house money when they're giving it away like that. So in the last month, they've run two of these odds boost promos, then, and we've made like $150 while doing nothing at all. I get it. It's not, you know, bank-breaking numbers, and we're going to make more than that with our traditional betting. But, I, I mean, there's nothing better than free money. It was free. It's now happened. We promoted it. We were like, this seems weird. This looks like they're just giving us free money. It's not promo money. It's not free, free play dollars. These are actual cash bets you can place where they're basically guaranteed winners. So hopefully you guys came along for that. We'll obviously let you know when as other things pop up. In the meantime, just keep following us. I, I, you know, I think my handicap on that Lakers-Nuggets game uh, five was probably my one handicapping miss, and it was because I was like, well, they're due to go the other way. That's a terrible way to handicap a game. Otherwise, we've been spot on throughout the bubble. And now we're into the finals. The NBA finals. They start on Wednesday. Miami and Los Angeles. Southwest versus Southeast. Uh, what is it? Is, is latitude or longitude the one that runs? I think it's longitude, right? Uh, no, latitude is the north-south position. So there's like no northern latitudes in, in the NBA Finals right now. It took me a long time to get to the where the hell I was going with that weird point. This is the low-latitude NBA Finals. Butler versus LeBron. Those are some gamers, man. Use a baseball terminology. LeBron James and Jimmy Butler, those guys are some gamers. These are guys that just win. Jimmy Butler wins. LeBron James just wins. Everywhere that Butler's gone, his teams have gotten exponentially better. Everywhere, obviously, LeBron. It's less of a discussion point, because certainly when LeBron joins a team, they get a crap ton better. Jimmy Butler has never been given the, the credit he deserves. There's always been this, like, he's a tough guy to get along with thing, which might actually be the case until they... And... This is there's this weird phenomenon here where everybody wants to use whatever small data point to make their final decision or to back up whatever their their uh, pre-existing belief was. But let's let's talk about Jimmy Butler for just a second. Jimmy Butler is both hard to get along with as a in in current NBA terminologies and. Also, a great teammate and a hell of a competitor. It can be both, meaning he didn't get along with some of the dudes in Chicago or some of the dude, well, pretty much all of the dudes in Minnesota and some of the dudes in Philadelphia. And now he does get along with most, presumably, maybe all of the guys in Miami because they just, this is, he's around guys that see things similar to, to similarly to him. Basically, He's someone that is very much in the, it's kind of a Kobe mold, right? Where like you do it that way and you fight like Kobe fought or you fight like Jimmy fights. And if you do, he will love you. And if you don't, he'll call you soft and he'll hate you. He'll butt heads with you. I mean, that was every step along the way. Because he gets along with everybody in Miami, doesn't change what happened in the past for Jimmy Butler. That said, that said, 
he did make every team along the way markedly better. Minnesota got so much worse when they got rid of Jimmy Butler. They were a borderline winning team with him, and they dumped him, and they became one of the worst teams in the NBA. They went, he went to Philadelphia, and we saw the difference in two seasons, basically. You know, they had a very good roster. Their shooting was better last year than this year, so that, you know, Jimmy wasn't the only difference season over season. But think about the way they performed home versus road this year. You think that's happening with Butler on the team? Maybe. I guess the answer is maybe, because Miami wasn't that great as a road team either. Regardless, I mean, if Jimmy Butler is on Philadelphia in this postseason, they almost definitely beat the Celtics. All right, the Heat weren't very good on the road either, but the Heat had some weird issues in the regular season where they were playing big, and then they were playing small, and they were just demoing stuff, and now they've settled into a routine here. And, and obviously, their, their moves at the All-Star break were actually really useful. Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala were really good additions to that Heat team. But listen, we're, we're getting a bit sidetracked here. It's not that Miami was playing particularly well when the season shut down or particularly poorly. They were just sort of all over the map during the regular season, and they're locked in now. They've game-planned. They love being in the bubble. They have, this, they have a goal. And when they started to take down Milwaukee, you could see things changed a little bit for Miami. Like, they, they were fighting with Indiana. It wasn't... It was clear they were the better of those two teams, but there was never, I, you know, I, I know they could say they believed they were going to win a championship when they started the playoffs and they started beating the Pacers. But when they started beating the Bucks, there was a certain confidence and belief that grew in them that helped elevate them over Boston. A better offensive team, frankly. Boston had more things going on they could do, and Miami just outshot them. As Boston forgot how to play defense. In any event, let's talk a little bit about what happened over the weekend because we don't have any games to break down for the next couple of... Uh, I mean, we do have the Wednesday game, but we're not going to do that on today's podcast. All we have right now is the line, which is Lakers by five, with a total of 218, and that'll probably move around as we work our way through the next two days. But I don't want to waste Wednesday's content today or tomorrow, which, by the way, is going to make tomorrow's show particularly odd so let's spend some time on today's podcast talking about the lakers and nuggets wrapping up their series uh on saturday and uh, boston extending their series on friday before losing it yesterday on sunday in the early evening and we'll work our way backwards chronologically just like you know the good old days reverse chronological lightning round monday and so forth it doesn't really matter but whatever. Anyway, Miami beat my, uh, Boston 125-113, wrapping up their series in six games with a high-scoring finale that once again went way over the total. The totals in these Boston-Miami games were consistently too far under the mark. There was an expectation, we've talked about this before, there's an expectation in this series that the two teams were going to play the same way they had in previous sets. But in previous series... Boston's main goal was to stop Toronto's transition game. They were like, look, we're going to force them into the half court. We're going to force them to beat us when we have the size advantage almost everywhere on the floor, with, I guess, the exception of when uh, Toronto went really big. And that didn't work out that great for them because they couldn't cover Boston on the perimeter. And so those series ended up being pretty low scoring. Similarly, Miami's goal in their series against Milwaukee was to try to wall off Giannis, remove their transition game, and slow the game down, make it a half-court battle. But this series, Miami and Boston, I think both teams felt like 
they had to get their points before the half-court defense is set. Both these teams had good half-court defenses, and so there was a lot of running. A ton. And the lines never really adjusted. Like, it, it wasn't even close. The previous game had a, a total of 213.5. It ended at 229, and they only adjusted it up by a point, basically, and then it got bet up by another point on top of that. But it wasn't close. They just went over after over after over after over. Look at look at the way this series went. I know they had that long layoff between games, but uh, you go all when did the series start? The fifteenth or the seventeenth? Started on the fifteenth, two thirty one. Game two was the only game that went under, and it went under by one point. So effectively, it was a push. And you know, if you if you break it down, it actually uh, probably still should have gone over, but for. Boston having their 20 turnovers in that game where they should have scored another three or four points and it would have pushed it over the mark. So all six games based on pace should have gone over the mark and five of them did and it wasn't really close. 231, 223 cleared it by 14 points. Uh, again, then they had that long layoff. 221 cleared it by nine points. 229 cleared it by 16 points and then in the finale... 238 cleared it by 23 points. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we're going to do silly voices before we actually break down the, the closing game. Meanwhile, on the opposite side, Lakers and Nuggets pretty much went over in every ball game. Not by quite as much. That last game at 224 did go over by a touchdown. Previous game at 222 went over by about the same amount. Previous game was 220. That went over by only about four and a half, five points. So the Lakers Nuggets, they were pretty consistently squeezing over the mark as well. In fact, in theirs, game two, just like the other one, was the only game that went under. But that game went under because of high turnovers also. So from pace and expected final numbers, both of these last series, Eastern and Western Conference Finals, were pretty much the same damn thing. With some key exceptions. This is going to actually work in our favor in a couple of ways. Lakers Nuggets pretty consistently went over, not always because of pace, partially because the teams overperformed their expected scoring mark. Simply put, the Lakers and the Nuggets had offenses that were basically unstoppable. The Lakers did about as good a job as anyone has since... Since the Nuggets started trying, <laughs> like at Game 4 against Utah, or Game 5 against Utah, whatever it was, uh, since they started trying, that finale, that clincher, the Game 5 win for the Lakers on Saturday, was about as well as anybody's done defensively against the Nuggets. Held them to just 42% shooting. Denver was the better team in terms of second-chance points, or they, or they would have gotten blown out in this game. It would have been a, an absolute beatdown. But they had all of the second-chance stuff that the Lakers had in the previous ballgame, where they owned the glass. Lakers actually still out-rebounded the Nuggets by seven, but a lot of that was just because the Nuggets missed a ton of shots. They happened to get some of those rebounds back. Which I suppose is going to happen if you shoot 42%. You miss a lot. You're going to get some offensive rebounds. If they didn't, it would have been a 20-point loss. Would have It just would have been a blowout early. The expected... Final pace in that game was far lower than the 224 indicated, which is kind of how we were handicapping. I was like, look, I think the pace of this game is finally going to be the one that puts this game under the mark. The Lakers vastly overperformed 
their expected pace in this game. I mean, you saw the whole fourth quarter was LeBron waiting until the shot clock at nine using uh, twin. They had two screens. It was a double screen to create some opportunities where Denver couldn't just wall off the paint because they had to bring more guys out towards the screeners. That was a very clever move the Lakers executed late in the game. It looked like they were saving it for that moment, sort of make it too hard for Denver to make that next adjustment. But regardless, the Lakers' pace was actually not that high in this game. Lakers' pace expected was about 105. They cleared it by a dozen points. Nuggets, on the other hand, actually played a really high-tempo game, largely because they had all of those offensive rebounds. Their expected pace was 114, so they actually went under by 7. So many offensive rebounds, a lot of free throws that they hit at a great clip. They had 89% of their free throws and only 11 turnovers. They were really efficient uh, from the free throw line, efficient in actually getting shots up. They just couldn't make them because the Lakers defensively were quite good. And Jamal Murray was clearly playing through uh, what looked like maybe a knee or a hamstring thing throughout the entire ballgame. And so a lot fell on the shoulders of Jeremy Grant, who had a hell of a series. Of course, then the news came out that he was probably going to opt out of his contract. If he doesn't have this big playoff run, I think he probably just takes his player option because there's not... Free agent money is not going to be getting thrown around this offseason. Not with the still the question marks as to whether fans are going to be in the arena next year. There's, there's revenue being lost, and so contracts are going to be smaller. Salary caps are going to drop. But Jeremy Grant played so damn well, he will get himself security even if it's for the same amount. I think his option was like $9 million. I'm not looking at it right now, but digging into the deep parts of my memory, it's probably wrong by a little bit. But my guess would be, even if his annual value stays about the same, he could get more than a year. I guess the reason to maybe not opt out would be to say, look, I'm going to play my ass off next season, hope that the revenue stabilizes as we get vaccines and people get back into arenas, uh, and then sign a bigger deal the following season. But at the same time, you know, Jeremy Grant isn't a superstar. He's a good NBA player whose who's, game is rounding into shape at the right time in the right era. Uh, there's two sides of it, you know? You could bet on yourself. If something goes horribly wrong, you know, what if your career ends? Or maybe you take a, a three-year three deal for $30 million or something like that. I mean, $30 million is nothing to shake a stick at. How many of us are going to make $30 million in our lives? Very few. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, the difference between 30 million and like 50 or 60 million if if you wait until maybe teams are giving out more money, that's that's a big deal and that extra chunk you you you're Jeremy Grant, you put away in a uh, portfolio somewhere and you don't have to work even after you retire, but you might not have to even at the first one. Anyway, we're getting into the semantics of this a little bit. It doesn't really matter. The point of all of that fast talking was that I'm a little bit annoyed because I was really hoping that Jeremy Grant would continue to float a little bit under the radar and come back to the Nuggets on a one-year deal, be forced to play his ass off, and then we'd be able to capitalize with a massive fantasy season. Uh, He'll probably get a little bit more attention, although luckily for us, his stat set, which, you know, he did some scoring in in this series, generally is not points-heavy and that tends to turn people off. So perhaps we will still have our built-in Jeremy Grant value as I yell over the sound of children screaming in the background. Only time will tell. He might end up with another team. He might end up back with the Nuggets. Obviously, our preferred destination would be back where he was as someone getting wide-open looks next to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. But I assume anywhere he goes, he would be given 
at least an equal amount of responsibility, maybe more. Maybe that's the, the destination he prefers. I don't know. You know, this is a spot that opened up an opportunity. We knew he was good already. We knew he was also stuck a little bit in Denver in that they had this $30 million albatross named Paul Millsap who still saw a fair amount of playing time but was pretty clearly getting destroyed uh, by Jeremy Grant. They just decided to go a little bit bigger. They went both of those guys. Grant was playing small forward. He was dealing with LeBron. Millsap was stuck on Anthony Davis, and they took their chances with that. It um, didn't really work, <laughs> defensively at least. Um, we were deep in this discussion of sort of how we got to this point, and for Lakers and Nuggets, the pace was slowing, but the overperformance was still happening. What we're getting now to uh, in the finals is this weird convergence of teams trying to figure out what they want to do stylistically in that Miami is probably best served now trying to slow the Lakers down. And it's what Denver tried to do also. Denver thought, okay, let's just make this a half-court game. We'll do whatever we can to slow the Lakers down. Whatever we can. And... Um, if they can beat us in the half court, great. Then they then they win because Denver believed in their own half court offense, which is not a crazy idea. They had a good one. Jokic, Jamal Murray, pick and roll was pretty tough for teams to defend. Lakers just happened to have big men in general that could switch on to Murray and at least make his life a little bit more complicated. Not you know he was getting better looks than if he was attacking a guard for the most part, but. That was sort of ultimately the Lakers' decision on how they wanted to deal with that. Lakers still were able to get out and run a little bit. They forced a turnover, they ran. They got a defensive rebound, they ran. And as much as the Nuggets tried to get back and stop them, there's just sort of... there. I know that statistically speaking, Lakers and, and Raptors were both very good, fast-breaking teams during the regular season. I'm just thinking of kind of... And the Bucks as well. Um, there's something a little bit different between each of those three fast-break offenses. For the Bucks, it was mostly just Giannis steam train. Steam train Giannis. And they still were able to get some of those against Miami. But for the most part, the Bucks were just like, look, Giannis, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to do it one-on-four. We're not going to worry that much about offensive rebounding. You're going you're gonna to struggle to get points in transition. Your teammates are going to need to help you out here. Um, so Miami has seen a transition game that's a little bit more like what the Lakers bring in that LeBron is similar to Giannis as as this sort of battering ram in transition. But the Lakers also, as a team, LeBron and I'll, I'll, we'll say Rondo in particular, are better passers than what the Bucks had on the floor. Giannis is a good passer. LeBron is a great passer. There's There's a marked difference there where Giannis averaged 5.6 assists per game, and LeBron averaged 10. And they both took about 19 shots a game. LeBron 19.1, Giannis 19.4. Giannis, a monster rebounder, although his team was sort of built. The Bucks built their team so that Giannis could get defensive rebounds and then just run himself. So the passing element is something a little bit different that Miami will be contending with here. So the Heat now... And this is where we try to get a little bit predictive, and we're not going to get too deep into it here because that's our content for the Wednesday episode of the podcast. But as we get, as we think about this from a predictive standpoint, we kind of have to think, okay, what's the fastball? 
Both teams like to throw their fastball in the first game of a series. What is the fastball going to be, both on offense and on defense? If you're the Lakers, your offensive fastball is run. Run like hell. Go, 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 and just try to dominate transition, try to dominate the glass, which can lead to transition, and just go. Go. What's Miami's defensive fastball? In these playoffs, oddly enough, it's been a zone. So if you get into a half court, you might see Miami go to a zone defense. You might see them just switch things. But I don't think that's going to last very long because the Lakers will go straight after Goran Dragic and or Duncan Robinson. They'll work so hard to get LeBron being guarded by one of those two guys, and then he'll just pick on him. He'll just go after him repeatedly. As, as it may desire, and that'll force Miami to bring other guys over to try to do that paint walling off that Denver was doing, and the Lakers had pretty much figured out how to deal with that by the end of the last series. The Lakers' defensive fastball, seemingly to this point, was switching. The switching. And they can probably... They can probably do that again this series. I don't know what sort of uh, starting... Did the Lakers go back to a JaVale McGee starting lineup? Did they leave Dwight Howard in there? How much do they go small? The Lakers can get away, by the way, with going a little bit smaller in this series than they could against Denver. Going small against the Nuggets was a horrible idea because Denver is a big, strong team with a center that was eating up smaller opponents a lot. And you remove rim protection and they just destroyed you. Uh, against Miami, you can go a little bit smaller. You still need some rim protection, but that could potentially be AD. And Bam isn't shooting threes. He's just not. You know, I you mean, you can you can say that he'll take one once in a blue moon, and you'll be like, well, Bam could hit a three. He could conceivably get out there and try to stretch the Lakers' center away from the bucket, but that's not where he's hanging out. Adebayo's not shooting threes. Jokic is. You know, when Denver ran pick and rolls, that could be a pick and pop. It doesn't really work that way with Bam if he's involved in that element on offense. So that that makes life a little bit easier on the Lakers, actually, defensively, if that was what Miami was running. If they were trying to target anybody in particular, the Lakers could be like, all right, yeah, whatever. Like, we could switch it or we could probably fight through it. You could hard hedge and then you could probably get back. Uh, and if Adebayo was rolling, then you just get into a scramble drill where someone comes over and then you've got guys chasing dudes out to the three-point line. I don't think you really want to do that. I think you'd rather switch it. I think you'd rather switch it, make sure somebody stays on Adebayo if he's going towards the rim, make the guard beat the big man one-on-one, which for the Lakers, you know, we've seen Dwight do, does a pretty good job of guarding little guys. JaVale is so long that he can lean back and try to force him into a shot off the dribble. There are ways to to deal with that. The rest of Miami's offense is much more complicated. A lot of Adebayo in the high post, um, and the Lakers, you know, there's going to be a lot of chasing. There's going to be a lot of switching off ball to make sure that guys don't get open for three. Miami's a very good three-point shooting team, uh, and then you sort of take your chances from there. You know, Miami shot the ball really well in that last game in their clincher on Sunday. Boston had actually done a pretty good job of slowing them down, and they'd been missing some three-pointers, but they do need those long balls to drop. Iguodala went 5-for-5 five five in yesterday's clincher. Duncan Robinson hit five three-pointers. They did a much Boston did a much better job of Goran Dragic as the series progressed, and you have to wonder if maybe Goran is just statistically, he might be regressing a little bit because he was so hot. Uh, and then Tyler Hero, they do have a nice attack 
uh, offensive attack guy off the bench that you will probably draw a lot of Alex Caruso, if I had to guess. So from a fastball perspective, you've got to think Miami's going to want to try to slow down the Lakers. I think the Heat would prefer to get this thing into a more half-court game and say, okay, well, let's see if the Lakers can beat us in a half-court. Um, it may or may not work. You know, that they, they've had a good half-court defense. They they That was where they made their mark against Indiana and against Milwaukee. But what those two teams didn't have, Indiana didn't have the firepower, and then Milwaukee didn't have the adjustments. Milwaukee had so many easy adjustments they could have made in that series and probably then would have won it. Uh, first and foremost would have been actually playing Giannis uh, 37, 38 minutes a game instead of, you know, 35. Uh, but second would be adjust your defense to guard three-pointers a little bit more. Adjust your offense to give Giannis different looks. The Lakers did it. I mean, again, I, I get it. Miami's probably better at walling off the paint than Denver was, but you saw it with the Nuggets. They brought guys early to make sure that the paint was not open for LeBron in the half court, and the Lakers made the adjustments. Earlier passes, two screens, lob threats, all these things that jump up, they're counters to almost all of these things where really good offenses can beat really good defenses. And so now we have to guess a little bit. We have to guess. We have to say, what do we think these two teams are going to do in game one to try to assert themselves a little bit? And for the Lakers, you know, their fastball, uh, which is running, worked really well against Denver. And it didn't work as well against Portland or Houston in game one. And you have to wonder a little bit, were they, were they just sort of not ready for those opponents? Long layoffs, kind of came in a little bit drowsy. Defensively, Lakers actually pretty good in that first game against Portland, but they just they just sort of weren't ready for Houston's weird brand of basketball. But they were ready for Denver. They came in and they were like, "Look, we're gonna just we're gonna go. We're gonna get this tired Nuggets team. We're gonna go." I think they're gonna try that here against the Heat. I think Miami are gonna be better prepared to slow the Lakers down. And so I wonder now if this series looks a little bit more like the Heat series against Milwaukee, where you've got one team in the Bucks, desperately trying to run the score higher, desperately trying to turn it into a track meet. And you've got the other team in Miami trying to do their best to keep it a little bit lower. Ultimately, the running team usually then ends up dictating the pace because they're going to come, they're going to try to get their shots going quickly. It's going to lead to a little bit of a helter-skelter game. The Heat will then just come back and capitalize on that. And so... We'll get more into the actual line on our Wednesday show, but I'm inclined to think that this is a relatively high-scoring opening game. And sure enough, the line set at 218. That's a pretty high number. How did these two teams get to their point? Well, we talked about Miami. Uh, they did it with our offense on Sunday, which was a little bit of a different look for them. Uh, minimal turnovers on both sides. Miami has been very good at getting to the free-throw line throughout the playoffs, which... Could be an issue. Lakers are, they are fouling teams a lot. <laughs> so there are going to be some free throws for Miami. Uh, but this was finally a really good shooting game. Bam Adebayo went nuts. Lakers do have, I'm, honestly, I'm surprised Adebayo didn't have bigger games against the Celtics because they just, you know, da I love Daniel Tice as a, as a fantasy asset, but as a center, he should have been getting eaten alive in this series. And that finally then happened on Sunday. 
Uh, Lakers have guys that can get in his way. And they can throw big dudes at Bam, and they can let Anthony Davis go do other stuff if they want to, which I think they will. I, I think there's, there's an absolute reason to start big for L.A., make sure Miami doesn't get stuff going to the rim. A.D. can chase, you know, uh, stretch fours out towards the perimeter. I think Jay Crowder is their starting power forward. That's not a hard cover for Anthony Davis. The hard cover is whoever the hell has Jimmy Butler, which might be Danny Green to start the ball game. It'd probably be LeBron late, if I had to guess. They'll rotate through some guys. Um, and then chasing Duncan Robinson. Who's going to be on that? That might be Danny Green. That might be KCP, actually. And then who's on Goran Dragic? So the Lakers have some choices here. I think there's going to be a lot of switching. You talk about who's on a guy. That's generally not going to be the dude who's guarding them after a bunch of uh, back screens and flares and so forth. Uh, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good series. And uh, Miami got to this point with grit. They just kept fighting. They kept fighting. They kept hitting big shots in fourth quarters. And they were able to overcome a Milwaukee team that didn't make proper adjustments. A Boston team that uh, honestly probably should have won this series. But uh, they just they never really fully slowed Miami down. And they blew some big leads early in this series, remember. Uh, and so Miami's here. They just, they've, they've shown more toughness. They've been the tough team in the Eastern Conference. And frankly, the Lakers have been the tough team in the Western Conference. They, I know that their path, you could argue, wasn't the hardest in the world. But look, Portland, going into that series, people were talking about Portland beating LA. I was asked on a betting show, uh, how much, what would the underdog odds have to be on Portland for me to take them? And I was like, gotta be like plus 800. I'm not, I don't, they're not getting over them. And I was told I was crazy that much lower would have been totally fine. And I was like, nah, Lakers are being underestimated. I've learned too many times in my life not to underestimate LeBron James. How many times in the Eastern Conference I was like, this dude's team isn't as good as these other teams. And then he whipped him anyway. He just, look, the Lakers are a good team. Defensively, they're very, very good. And they have two superstars. That's, so anyway, then they conquered small ball. And uh, then they conquered a Denver team that had been unbelievably resilient to this point. They uh, Lakers dodged a bullet by not having to play the Clippers. That would have been a team that had the personnel to best match up with L.A. And that's why I thought the Clippers were going to win the championship. Because I was like, look, Clippers are going to find a way against these other teams where maybe their matchups aren't perfect, but they're just more talented. And then against the Lakers, where the talent is similar, their matchups were better. Kawhi and Paul George to deal with LeBron... Uh, it was going to have to be a ton of Anthony Davis. And yeah, we saw that against Houston, but LeBron was able to set him up in that series because the Rockets couldn't really slow him down either. Uh, Jeremy Grant was as close as we've come now to seeing someone who could slow down LeBron a little bit, and he was still able to sort of overwhelm him. He, LeBron hasn't had to go against anyone in the stratosphere of a Kawhi Leonard on defense in these playoffs, and he won't. Jimmy Butler is going to be probably your next closest thing, but does Miami really want Butler on LeBron the whole ball game? I don't think so. Maybe. It's a good way to end up in foul trouble. Miami has a pretty good matchup here. Uh, both teams have a really good wing and a really good big man. Both teams have really good role players. And the question really becomes, you know, can LeBron find his way through what'll be another defense, another paint walling off defense with some gimmicky zone looks and can Anthony Davis uh continue his playoff surge which 
Honestly, I, I, Anthony Davis, I know they've been talking about his ankle. I don't think that his side ever fully healed after that Rockets series, so a couple days off here will probably be pretty good for him. And then we'll get rolling on Wednesday. And that's how we got to this point, with the Lakers uh, being largely unstoppable on offense to this point. They've, they've figured out whatever teams have thrown at them with adequate time. They've cut down their turnovers, which is a big deal, get shots on offense, and some of them will go in. Uh, and then they're just going to have to they're going to have to rebound a little better than they did against Denver. The Nuggets gave them a tough time on the boards uh, in that series. I know the Lakers spanked them in Game Four in the rebounding department, but overall, Nuggets actually were the I would argue the better rebounding team. And uh, we'll see what the Lakers do on that front against Miami. And do we see more Dwight Howard? Because that was one of the big things that that helped things move for LA. Can't wait! Can't wait! It's going to be a blast, man. <sighs> Check out our buddies over at manscaped.com, by the way, while you have a moment here towards the end of the podcast. Ho- uh, coupon code is HOOPBALL20 for 20% off and free shipping on the Lawn Mower 3.0. If you haven't tried it out, try it out. It's a fantastic piece of equipment. Uh, I actually need to do a little neck trimming today. My personal hygiene has gone out the window. It's been warm. It's been warm. Uh, good reason to get rid of neck beard <laughs> quarantine year. Quarantine year is also neck beard year. Uh, again, that coupon code is hoopball20 at manscaped.com. The lawnmower 3.0 waterproof 90 minute battery, a built in LED, and always, always from manscaped.com. Pinch free trimming technology. Yeah, I know. Get rid of the pinch. Everybody's least favorite part. Get rid of the pinch. Manscaped.com promo code hoopball20. Uh, tomorrow's podcast, I don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. We'll figure something out, though. Figure it out, guys. Don't worry. There's always something going on in the NBA. And if not, it'll just be a short one. Doesn't matter. What the hell we got to rush for? Late September, we have NBA playoffs happening right now in the weirdest year ever. I'm Dan Baspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. Have a great Monday, everybody. NBA Finals, two days from now. So long. This has been a hoop ball presentation.